right. Starting a new series this month uh, in anticipation of uh, Good Friday and then Easter Sunday. I'm calling this Jesus Questions because a lot of times in church, you know, we, we, we focus on the teachings of Jesus and that's what we should be doing. But uh, there's also these questions that he asks his disciples and, and to think about what he asks his disciples and in turn what he's asking us is an important thing to do, I believe. So we're going to spend some time this month looking at five or six important questions that Jesus asked. This is the first one. Before we get into it, I want a uh, quick story. I, uh, a while back, I was in Wisconsin Dells, and uh, I don't know about you, but I, I really hate it when uh, I feel like people are talking to me or looking at me, and I'm not sure if they're really focusing on me, but the, I, I don't know. I, I'm sitting, I'm in a water park, okay, and I went into the lazy river, okay? That's a little thing that goes around the water park. You just kind of lay there and be lazy, hence the lazy river. And uh, so I'm, I'm laying on this float, floating by, enjoying myself, and there's this, there's this woman on this little bridge kind of thing that goes over the lazy river. And so uh, and she's looking down towards me, and she's waving, okay? She's got a camera in her hand, you know? So she's waving, she's got a camera. And I'm kind of looking at her thinking, do I know her? You know, I, I'm not, have you ever been there? You know, you're not sure if they're looking at me or you're looking at somebody else. I kind of look around and didn't really see anybody on first glance. I look back at her and she's still waving, you know. A couple of seconds later, she's still waving with this camera. And I'm thinking, I, I don't know what she's doing there. Does she work for the water park trying to take a picture of me enjoying myself? I don't want to go on their website. And, you know, I'm thinking all these different things that go through your mind as you're floating along trying to be lazy. And uh, what do you do? And so I thought, well... If I'm going to go on the, on the website, you know, I wave back, right? What a dork. And, uh, <laughs> and she clicks a picture, and then finally I look and I see that there's other people that she must have known because they're waving back at her, right? And I'm thinking, hopefully she was looking at them and not at me. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> and I told myself I wasn't going to tell anyone that story, but here I am telling that story. So, I, I don't know, mistaken identity, and, and, and I set myself up for the fall, I get it, because sometimes people do come up to me and know me, but I don't know them. It happened at Winterfest, you know, I'm out there with the students, and I was teaching them uh, early February, and sure enough, someone came up to me and said, hi, Pastor Niall, and shook my hand, and they were working in the kitchen. I've never been to uh, Camp Forest Springs, I don't know who this person is, and they're like, I saw you preach in Watoma. Oh, okay, you know, cool, that's great, I, I don't know, but it happens sometimes. I don't like cases of mistaken identity. It almost happened last week, too. Um, we were in uh, Culver's in Rhinelander. And again, I'm sitting there with my family, just, just eating. And I look over, and across the restaurant, there's this guy in a booth. But he's not sitting in the booth. He's got his whole body turned towards my booth on the other side of the restaurant. And he's doing this. <laughs> you know? And I'm like, who does that? Does he know me? Is he here this morning? I don't know. (laughs) Um, And so I'm like, do I wave at him? What am I doing? So I thought, Niall, wait, wait. He's probably looking at something else because you've been here before. You've been here before. (laughs) And so I look to my right. I look to my left and no one's looking back. I look back at the guy and he's still doing, you know, and uh, and then I and then I looked up and Culver's installed the TV right above my table. He's watching ESPN, all right? That's what he's doing. He's not looking at me. Thank goodness. If you got a, 
If he got his camera out, I would have run out of the restaurant. That would have been enough. Like, I can't, I can't do that. I can't go there. Sorry. Um, I hate cases of mistaken identity, and I've felt foolish a number of times in my life in that position. I bet you have too. Um, I want to talk about, uh, I want to talk about probably the most important identity that you need to get right, that, that we all have to get right. It's a question of who is Jesus. And it's not a question that can be answered by watching the History Channel and watching them go over the details of his life. Because we've seen those shows, right? They come on there and, and you see what people say about him. But the question is, what do you say about Jesus? Who is he to you? And that was one of the questions he asked his disciples. Who do you say that I am? So if you go to your, in your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 16. Um, if you need a Bible this morning, there's one in your pews. It's blue and... Uh, and I invite you to turn to Matthew chapter 16. When I get there, I'll even give you a page number, um, maybe. 694 is where we're going to be at this morning. Page 694 in your blue Bibles, Matthew 16, uh, verse 13. One of the most important questions that you can answer in your entire life, and, and this is it, this is it. Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? Which is what he called himself, just just so you know. Uh, They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But what about you, he asked, who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Christ or, or Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And and we'll stop there. Short text this morning we're going to look at, but it contains an incredibly significant question for us. So Jesus is on his way with his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, which is about 15 miles uh, north of Galilee. And it's a region... uh, that has, that's primarily made up of Gentiles, not Jewish people. And as they're traveling, and I believe Luke even records it was during a, pr- a time of prayer, Jesus looks at his disciples and he says, who do people say that I am? Now apparently, he hadn't asked this question previously. I'm, I'm just guessing that this wasn't a normal thing where he said, you know, what are the people saying about me? This was, this was intentional. It was meaningful. He wanted to ask him in the series where he asked him first about what do other people say and then what do you say? Now, when he asked the question, who do people say the Son of Man is, he's, he's primarily getting at when you're out there with the people, you 12 disciples, what are people saying about me? Who do people think that I am? And their answers are primarily different. They're different. I mean, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. There doesn't seem to be a consensus among the Jewish people about who Jesus really is. There doesn't, they didn't say, well, there's a whole group of people that think you're the Messiah. You're the Son of God. I mean, they don't say that. What they're saying is, we're hearing people talk about you. And what they're saying is, they're mainly comparing you to a prophet. A, people, a person who speaks for God, God's microphone in a sense, a prophet. 
So it strikes me, first of all, when it comes to the question of who do you say Jesus is, who is he? Number one, the question can be answered differently. Differently. If you have a bulletin, you have notes in there, and you can follow along in the notes, and there's blanks. I've got the blank up there that you should fill in. Um, I encourage you to do that. It helps you kind of think with me on this. Um, This question is often answered differently. Different people say different things. And like I say, you turn the History Channel on, you're going to get a very historical treatment of Jesus. But in matters of faith, we've got to say, well, well, who is he? What is his life and his death and his resurrection that was reported? Well, what does that, what does that mean to us? Because the History Channel can, can report that his, he apparently rose from the dead. But if it really happened, then what does it mean? Who really is this Jesus? People answer differently. Now, um, the answers that the people gave, some say, John the Baptist. John the Baptist was, if you remember, the guy who came on the scene right before Jesus did. He was kind of preparing the way for Jesus. He never claimed to be the Christ or the Messiah, but, but he, he, was, he was preparing the way. And so he would proclaim the kingdom of God and he would tell people to repent, turn from your sins. I don't care if you're a religious leader, a Pharisee, or if you're a Roman soldier who could kill me if you wanted, you all have to repent. He didn't care who you were. He was kind of a wild guy in the wilderness, you know, dressed in a in kind of a crazy way and ate locusts and wild honey, you know. So um, I knew a guy in college we called John the Baptist, just so you know. Um, he was from Colorado and he had this crazy hair that he never washed and he smelled bad and he had a big beard, you know. But he was the gentlest soul you ever met. He loved Jesus, so we called him John the Baptist. Um, so John the Baptist, that wouldn't be a bad guy to be compared with, really. And then there's, uh, there's Elijah. Old Testament prophecies say that one like Elijah would come and prepare the way for the Messiah. And Elijah himself was taken up in this flaming chariot of fire, you know, off into heaven. And Elisha was watching this thing and got Elijah's cloak. So, I mean, maybe he really returned or maybe this is the forerunner of the Messiah, the guy that's supposed to prepare the way. Elijah, great guy, a man full of faith, confronted the prophets of Baal, you know, all these prophets and one, one Elijah and said, I have worshipped the true God. And, 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 and he confronted them and he was proven correct. I mean, great stories about Elijah, wouldn't be a bad guy to be compared to. And then there's Jeremiah, uh, who is known for suffering and the fall of Jerusalem and teaching authoritatively to the people of Israel, even during that time of great suffering. Some similarities between Jeremiah and Jesus, certainly. But no matter what, who you compare him to, that doesn't do him justice. If I compared you to Elijah or you to John the Baptist, assuming you didn't smell bad, um, and I, that was why I was making the comparison, um, that would be a compliment for you. You know, that would be a compliment to be compared to Elijah or Jeremiah. But not Jesus. Not Jesus. Because he stands alone as different from all of them. And so you can say great things about him and still miss the point. You can compare him to the greatest person you know and still miss the point. People have different answers for Jesus and some of them are very flattering. But they don't go far enough. Not nearly enough. Now, when Jesus asks a question, just, just so we're looking at it, it's kind of interesting. Jesus asks a question and he says, 
Who do people say, this is verse uh, 13 again, who do people say the Son of Man is? Jesus liked calling himself the Son of Man. If you've spent any time in the Gospels, you'll know that he likes to call himself that. I wonder if Jesus is setting up the 12 disciples and even hinting at his identity even as he asks the question. Son of Man. When you talk about Jesus today, you call him Jesus Christ, Jesus Son of God, Jesus Messiah, Jesus King of Kings, Lord of Lords, but we don't usually call him Jesus Son of Man. I thought about that this week. And what does that mean to call himself Son of Man? We know that Jesus didn't call himself the Christ right off the bat. He kept that kind of under the table, right? Because if people thought he was the Christ... They're either going to expect him to uh, lead a revolt against Rome or if he didn't lead the revolt, they'd just kill him and like they do other messiahs. That wasn't something he went around proclaiming. I'm the Christ. You know, worship me. He didn't do that. But he did call himself son of man. I read son of man and I think rightly so it points to his humanity, right? He is God, but in the flesh, the son of man. Uh the psalmist in Psalm 80, verse 17, says, uh, let your hand rest on the man at your right hand, the son of man you've raised up for yourself. Seems to be referring to a human being, son of man. And yet there's this passage in Daniel, and some of you ladies, I think, studied Daniel recently, didn't you? There's a passage in Daniel, listen to this, Daniel seven thirteen. It says, Daniel says, in my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one like a son of man coming on the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days, a term for God, and was led into his presence. This son of man, I'm filling that in by the way, he was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away. His kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So Daniel has this vision, and he sees this person that he calls a son of man, and he comes before God himself and God gives him all authority, dominion, and power to rule over everything at some point in the future. And he says people worshipped him. And so I wonder if, if Jesus taught like this. He would say things like, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. You know, I'm in charge of the Sabbath day. Well, that's something that God would say, wouldn't he? I'm in charge of what you do on Sunday. I gave you this day. Uh, but he also said things like the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve. The Son of Man came to humble himself. And then other times he would talk to teachers or uh, Pharisees and people and he would say, you're going to see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven. Obviously a reference to Daniel chapter 7. When Jesus comes to rule over everything, we're waiting for his return even now. I think Jesus used Son of Man. Again, this is my trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together because Jesus never told us why he liked that term. I think it was something that he could say to people and they wouldn't be like, hey, he's claiming to be God. Let's get him, you know, blasphemy. You know, they couldn't do that to him because Son of Man, does it mean he's just a human being or does it mean something else? And if you have spiritual eyes, eyes to see and ears to hear, you'll get it. He is meaning something else, isn't he? Just like when he taught in parables. Jesus would tell stories and you'd hear the story and go, oh, that's a story about a farmer. Cool. 
But then there was spiritual truth underneath the story. So I think when he used the word son of man, it was like, do you get it? Are you, are you with me here? I'm more than what you can imagine. I'm the son of man. Daniel, remember? He didn't say that, but buried in it, it's there. But it's tricky. So he says, who do people say the son of man is? And they had their different answers. Um, last thing I'll say about this different answer thing. Um, I remember reading a story about uh, uh, pretty, a pretty famous evangelical pastor in uh, Grand Rapids named Rob Bell. He's written some books. A lot of you have heard of him. And uh, apparently there was an art show at his church. Someone put a piece of art on the wall, and it was a quote by Gandhi. And, uh, and people were looking at the piece of art, and someone wrote a little, little uh, post-it note on there and stuck it onto the art piece. And, and the sticky note said, uh, too bad he's in hell. And, uh, and Pastor Bell's reaction was, really? Do we know that? Do we know that? How can you be sure? And then he wrote this book called Love Wins, um, which I disagree a lot with, because um, I think it goes against the clear teaching of the Bible. But I have a quote by Gandhi, and you could put that up uh, at this point. Just want to look at it really, really quick. Um, this is Gandhi, uh, 1937. I regard Jesus as a great teacher of humanity, but I do not regard him as the only begotten Son of God. That epithet in its material interpretations is quite unacceptable. Metaphorically, we're all sons of God, but for each of us, there may be different sons of we may be different sons of God in a special sense. Thus, for me, Chatnya may be the only begotten Son of God. God cannot be the exclusive Father. And I cannot ascribe exclusive divinity to Jesus. He's saying, Jesus can't be God. I can't go there. Great teacher, great model, great mentor. I want to follow his example. Yes, in all counts. But you asked me to call him God, and I cannot go there. Not exclusively. i got to have my other gods. I'm not the judge of Gandhi, and I'm not here to declare where he's at right now because that's the soul, um, that's God's responsibility, not mine. But for a person who will not come to the correct conclusion about Jesus, the Bible promises judgment, which makes this the most important question you can answer. Who is Jesus to you? So let's go there for a couple minutes. Let's go there. Number two. Um, this is what Peter says. Uh, verse 15 says, What about you? Who do you say I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Number two then in your notes, this question can be answered truthfully. We can get to the bottom of this. We can. After J Peter confesses, Jesus to be the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Jesus says, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. This question can be answered truthfully. I would say there's probably, from this passage, two conditions for getting the question right. How do we answer the question right? Well, Jesus gives us two ways. The first way is, your answer has to match the Bible's answer. Your answer has to match the Bible's answer. We believe that we take it on faith that the Bible is the Word of God. It's His revelation to us. What we know about Him, what we know about Jesus, was passed down as people were, people were inspired to write the Bible. 
our answer has to match it. If it doesn't, we're going off course. So when Peter says, you're the Christ, um, I, don't even, I don't even know if we think about what the word Christ means, Christos, it, it means uh, Messiah. It means you're the Messiah. You're the one promised in the Old Testament. Uh, a couple of verses I'll throw your way just to kind of think about this, his Messiahship. Um, you think about uh, Micah 5.2. We read this at Christmas time a lot. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you were small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Someone out of Bethlehem is going to come and he's going to rule. That's, that's the prophecy. Or how about Isaiah 9, 6? Again, a wonderful Christmas passage we read a lot. For unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, the gov- and the government will be on his shoulders. He will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. One day there's going to be a child born, and we're going to call him the Mighty God. And there's more passages. There's so many more prophecies about his coming. But Israel was looking forward to it. One day the Messiah will come and he will free us from slavery. And they thought slavery from Rome, right? He's going to help us get free from Rome. Jesus was thinking, I want to free you from slavery to yourself, to sin, to judgment, to continually making the wrong choices and paying the price and one day paying the price in hell. I want to free you from that. That's the slavery that Jesus had in mind when he died. He's the Messiah. He's the Christ. And Peter adds, the son of the living God. Now, Jesus is often called son of God. And in fact, that phrase could be used for a lot of us even, right? If you believe in Jesus, you're you're his child. That's what I tell kids when I was in Sunday, when I was doing uh, VBS kind of stuff, teaching kids. If you believe in Jesus, you become his son, his daughter. You're a child of God. But Peter leaves absolutely no wiggle room for, you know, what does that mean to be son of God? You know, like we're all sons of God. We all kind of have a spark in us. It's important, you know. No, he goes beyond that. He says, you're the son of the living God, meaning all other gods are idols. Anything else people worship is useless but you are the son of the singular living God. There's no one like you. There's nobody like you. He's declaring Jesus' divinity. He's saying, Jesus, you are God himself, God in the flesh, the Christ. If you want to get the answer right, you have to look at what the Bible says about Jesus. And in the Old Testament, hundreds of years before Jesus arrived on the scene, People were writing about his coming. Isaiah was writing about it, thinking about this person that was going to rule, this person that was going to die for the sins of the people. They were thinking about him. And then he shows up and reveals himself. Your answer has to agree with what the Bible already says about Jesus. But the other piece of it is, your answer is dependent on God revealing who he is in your heart. Your answer is dependent on what God is doing in your heart. Jesus says to Peter, uh, flesh and blood didn't reveal my identity to you. <laughs> it was my father that revealed it to, yourself, to, to you. So somewhere along the line, Peter really got it. He understood who Jesus really was. And it wasn't because he heard the right answer from somebody. 
It was because God confirmed it to him personally. I can tell you that Jesus is the Son of God. I can tell you that he died on a cross to pay for all of your sins. I can tell you that. And you can nod your head and say, yep. But if you don't believe that deep in your soul, I don't think it matters. I know he died on a cross. Got it. Historically, that happened. But but if you ask for that forgiveness, have you believed it? Has God confirmed it to you? The Bible talks about, Paul, you know, Apostle Paul would talk in first, uh, Second Corinthians about how the, the ruler of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. I believe I'm saying that right. The ruler of this age has blinded people. I take that ruler to be Satan. And he's putting blinders on people so they can't see. And then after that verse, it talks about God shining the, his light into our hearts. And I put two and two together and see that God takes the blinders off so that we can see who he really is. And when you see who his son really is, then you've got to make a decision. Is this for real? Is God saying something in my heart or not? And if you feel the sunlight shine into your heart today, that's a question that you have to answer. But let me address the Christians real quick in the room as well. Those of you that have known Christ for little or long time, let me say this to you and challenge you at this point. Don't settle for your current knowledge of Jesus. I mean, you know Jesus truthfully. If you know he's the Christ, the Son of the living God, you know what you need to know, but there's so much more to know, right? There's so much more to know about him. It's not that knowing more is going to like save you more. It's not going to, you know, it doesn't do that. But, but knowing more about him helps you live more like him. Helps you connect with his heart more. Helps you love him more. That's what you want. You want to go on in your knowledge. You don't want to settle for what you know now. And, and you know, for, for a long time, I remember, uh, I remember thinking of Jesus mainly as, as Savior, which he is, Savior. And I remember reading some passages about he, how he's going to judge humanity. And I thought, oh my goodness, the Savior is the, also the judge. So, so one day we're, we're going to stand before Jesus. And for those that don't know Jesus personally, haven't committed their lives to him, they're going to stand before Jesus in judgment. And, and they can say whatever they want, but, but they, they can say it's not fair to judge me and send me to hell. And Jesus said, Jesus is going to say, it is fair because I died for you and I love you and I offered this to you and you said no. You said no. I may be the judge and this may be a scary moment in your life, but I'm also the Savior. And I thought, man, thinking of Jesus as Savior and judge really helps me get my mind around a little better who he is. That's just me personally. I read this book uh, by Brian McLaren called A Generous Orthodoxy. I'm starting to feel guilty now because I read a lot of books I don't recommend other people read. But um, I like to stretch my thinking, okay? Um, A lot of McLaren stuff I disagree with strongly. But I read this book, and he has a chapter, chapter 2, and it's called The Seven Jesuses I Have Known. He talks about the, uh, the conservative Protestant Jesus, 
who died for the sins of the human race. That's, that's the focus of their teaching. He talks about the Pentecostal Jesus that uh, came to bring miracles and healings from God in accordance to promises. He talks about the Roman Catholic Jesus who died to free humanity. He talks about the liberal Protestant Jesus who came to in- inspire us to work compassionately for social justice. The Anabaptist Jesus who taught us to live lives of love and peace. And he says at the end of that chapter, which was kind of infuriating to read, but um, he says at the end of the chapter that we need to put all of these pictures together and have this rich tapestry of who Jesus is. And uh, I get where he's going with that, but we need the Jesus of the Gospels because I don't think our denomination has it all the way right. Nor the Catholics, nor the liberal Protestants, nor the Pentecostals. We, 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 we all are limited. And Paul said, that's why he says, I want to know Christ. I mean, if the Apostle Paul wants to know Christ, how much less do I know than him? He says, I want to know Christ in the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. Paul, you want to suffer. I get it. I'm not there yet. I don't feel like suffering. <laughs> but maybe as I know Christ more, I'll be more okay with that. You know, if Paul wants to know more, how much more should I want to know more? He says, not that I've already obtained all this. I haven't been made perfect yet. I know other traditions may emphasize different things about Jesus, but I want the Jesus of the Gospels. That's what I want. I advise you, church, to dig into the Gospels and and, and learn more about Jesus' heart and not rely on the things that you've kind of grown up thinking about because Jesus wants you to remember those things and add to them. What else are you going to learn about Jesus this year? Finally, uh, number three. Uh, the answer to the question of who Jesus is changes Everything. The answer to the question of who Jesus is changes everything. Now, I want you to watch this with me because I didn't read this earlier. So, but I just want to show you something because I didn't want to get us to get lost in a whole lot of uh, Bible verses here. But um, I want you to see it. Um, the first blank in your notes is confession. Confession. What you see in verse 16 is Peter's confession of who jesus is you are the christ the son of the living god that's not confession as is i'm a dirty sinner and and please forgive me that's a different kind of confession this kind of confession is i am speaking the truth about the identity of jesus peter's confession confession leads to transformation okay so um what does jesus say to peter in verse 17 Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. This was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter. Your name is is Rock. You were Simon, but now you're Peter. Peter means Rock. You're more than what you were before. You may be brash and impulsive and a lot of other things, but you were also a Rock, Peter. I'm changing your name. Transformation. And then jump down a few verses. Um, Verse 21. Jesus starts at that time, Jesus starts to explain that he has to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things and uh, be killed and on the third day be raised to life. 
Peter verse 22 says, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. Then Peter says, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. And then Jesus says, If anyone will come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. You see, confession leads to transformation. If I know who Jesus is and I accept his forgiveness, he will make me a new creation. He will transform my life. But it starts with confession. You don't change first, you confess first. All right, it has to be that way. Think of it if we reversed it. If Jesus said, um, I'm going to die. And I want you to follow suit and take up your cross, not live for yourself, but live for me. Die, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Are you going to follow just any guy like that? No, you will follow the Son of God, but you will not follow anyone else. Practical example. If we went back in time 20, 30 years, what were you dressed like? Did some of you wear bell bottoms? Did some of you dance primarily by pointing your fingers? <laughs> Did you have big hair in the 80s? I love looking at my dad's high school pictures. Um, you know, it's just fun. He looked different. He dressed different. It's great. I thought I could have hair like that. Big hair. Um, but, but you followed a trend. You followed an example of somebody else. Somebody in, I don't know, was it Hollywood? Was it just culturally? You followed the example and you dressed like them, even if you look back on it now and say, that's ridiculous. After church, talk to your kids about it. It'll be a fun conversation. I know, I know. Your kids will say, where did all the hair go, right? Um, <laughs> uh, but you changed because... Because if someone set a standard, if there's some Hollywood star that sets a new standard for all of us to model in our fashion, uh, you're not going to follow that person to death. That person's like, whatever. I may try to dress like the latest fashions, the way, uh, the way Calvin Klein says is the new thing, but I'm not following Klein to the grave. I'm not going to follow his example if it gets me in trouble or if I have to deny myself. I'm just doing it because it just feels good to dress, you know, stylishly. But Jesus says, I'm the son of God, the Christ. And, and, and God himself has called you to live life, not for yourself, but for other people. Deny yourself. Live for Jesus. Live for the sake of others. Whether that means going across the street to your neighbor and inviting them to church, or whether it means going to Ethiopia. Live for Jesus and not for you. And you can't turn off the selfish button in your life unless you give yourself to Jesus first and know who he is. It just can't happen. So confession leads to transformation. Transformation leads to verse uh, chapter 17, verse 1. Here it is. Confession leads to transformation, leads to chapter 17, verse 1. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John. So six days after this happened that we've just been talking about today, Jesus took with him Peter, James, and John, the brother of James, led them up to a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured, meaning he shined in all of his glory as God himself, before them, his face shone like the sun, which is a little bit bright, and his clothes became as white as the light. And then there appeared with them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Apparently he's really not Elijah. Uh, confession leads to, transformation leads to glorification. 
Jesus wants to transform you in this life into a new creation. In the next life, you will be glorified. You'll get a new body. It will not have sickness. It will not be susceptible to disease. You won't be tempted to sin. You will have a glorified body and you will see Jesus the way these guys did on that day on top of the mountain. And I, for one, am looking forward to that. Confession about who Jesus is leads to transformation to be like him, leads to glorification. I get to be with him in all of his glory. That's God's plan for your life. The details, you know, are still out there. What are you going to do with your life to honor him? But that's the overarching way your life is going if you commit yourself to him. So, close with a question and then we'll have a last song. If you feel like today you want to get Jesus' identity correct and, and receive him as Son of God, the Christ, the Messiah the one who died to pay for your sins. I invite you to do that this morning. Would, could everyone close their eyes and bow their heads now? Um, there's no manipulation here. You know, it, but, but if you feel like, like I said, the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ is shining into your heart, Jesus says to Peter, people didn't reveal this to you. The Father revealed this to you. God the Father revealed this to you, Peter. And if you know that God the Father has revealed it to you this morning and you just want a chance to respond to that, I want to give you a chance to respond. I will pray a prayer. You are free to pray it in your heart. If you would like to pray that and you feel like God is speaking to you this morning on this, would you look up at me and we're going to pray together. If that's you and you feel like God has spoken to me this morning, would you look up at me and we will pray together. Thank you. Thank you. So I invite the three or four of you that looked up at me to, to pray a prayer like this. And uh, let's talk to God the Father, who's revealing this to you now. Father, I just want to admit right away that I have fallen very, very short of your standards. I've sinned. And I know I deserve your judgment, but... I also have realized that Jesus is your son. That he is God himself. That, that, that he is the Christ, the Messiah, the one sent to deal with sin in the world. And so I ask for his forgiveness. And I ask, Lord, that your son would come into my life in a way that transforms me. Make me a new person. And one day, God, I look forward to the day of seeing you in heaven, in glory. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name, amen.